Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Um, I'm going to have Larry Correa uh, in. Uh, Larry's a very prolific writer. You may likely know him from the Monster Hunter International series. Uh, some, I think, described as urban uh, uh, science fiction. Um, but uh, but a fantastic line of books. He's won multiple awards, pr- primarily in the area of, of fiction and fantasy. However, he has recently published, in fact, it just came out on the 24th of this month, a book entitled In Defense of the Second Amendment. And I got to tell you, I just got my copy Thursday, and... I loved reading it. It's a quick read. It's a fun read. Anybody who cares about their Second Amendment rights, you're, you're going to enjoy it. And it was particularly enjoyable for me because a lot of what Larry lays out very, very well, very logically, with with a little bite to it, a little sarcasm, a little poking fun at some of the idiots who completely misportray what gun, gun ownership is really all about in this country. And who keep raising the same tired bills and the same tired proposals, usually in response to a mass shooting like we've seen here a couple of times just in the last couple of weeks in California, saying, oh, well, if we just had, and then insert gun control proposal here, whether it's an assault weapon ban, high-capacity magazine ban, mandatory background checks, red flag laws, all those same battles that we fight over and over, Larry takes these apart one by one. And not only is is it a direct rebuttal to a lot of the idiocy that we see coming from gun control proponents, it's actually a very nice, concise collection of the rebuttals to each one of those arguments. He also goes into other issues like a, a, a kind of a general description of the law of self-defense. Again, that was near and dear to my heart. If you listen to the Gun Guy Show, you know I teach a class, Essentials of Indiana Gun Law. I call it gun law because it goes well beyond the law of self-defense, but that is clearly the emphasis. And we talk about when you can and cannot use force, including deadly force, under Indiana law. That's a big part of my legal practice. As you know, I've represented multiple clients who have used force to defend themselves, defend others, lawfully and justifiably, often heroically. But a a very nice, again, more of a generic description, and as Larry clearly says in the book, he's not trying to give you legal advice as to your particular state, since laws vary a bit on issues like duty to retreat versus a stand your ground state, which specifically excludes any obligation to retreat before you, you use deadly force. So Larry acknowledges clearly that different states have different rules, but it's a very nice generic description. To go through that and keep those principles in mind and then get a detailed education on Indiana specifically would be a great way to go. But also, you know, what I get all the time, I get emails, I get calls to the show, I get Facebook messages, Twitter messages, whatnot, where people say, you know, my neighbor is a big gun control nut, and he says, blankety blank, 
what's the best way to respond to that? And who knows what the topic might be? An assault weapon ban is a, is, is, is a consistent one. And I respond to a lot of those. I think oftentimes folks don't think I do anything all day but sit around waiting for someone to email me so I can translate information to them. And that's what the Gun Guy Show is largely all about. Having said that, I try to respond to those as much as possible. But Larry's book, again, In Defense of the Second Amendment, is a a very concise, well-organized compilation that not only rebuts so many of those gun control proposals and gun control arguments, but does it in a really logical and entertaining way. And if I sound like a bit of a, a fanboy here, it's because I have become exactly that, having read this book. And we're going to take a little bit of an early break, because when we come back, we'll have Larry join us and talk about his book, what motivated him to write it, what he was trying to accomplish, and uh, get in to a little more detail on all those issues. So right now we're taking a break. By the way, throughout the, the, the show, we will, of course, take your calls as well. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. I'm even more thrilled to have Larry Correa, New York Times bestselling author, probably best known for, I think it's fair to say, our urban fantasy series um, called uh, Monster Hunter International. Sold a lot of those. But he's published well over 20 novels, won multiple awards mainly in the area of fiction, as I was mentioning before the break. But here just recently, just this week, Larry has released a, a nonfiction piece of, of, of work in, in, in the form of a book that I'm a big fan of. I just read, I just got my copy Thursday, and I tore through it, as I mentioned before the break. It was, it was music to my ears. It's a lot of the same things you hear me talk about every week uh, on the Gun Guy Show. And it was right here. It's in one location, and it completely blows out of the water. A lot of the ridiculous arguments we hear over and over and over again from those folks out there uh, who despise your Second Amendment rights and often despise us simply because we're gun owners and really have the agenda of simply trying to take our rights away. So, first of all, welcome on the DriveHubler.com hotline, Larry Correa. Thanks so much for joining us, Larry. And Larry, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're, we're glad you're with us. Um is it fair to say, Larry, you're best known for the Monster Hunter International series? Uh, yeah, that's that's my biggest best-selling series, but I also I, I, I do urban fantasy. I do also alternate history superheroes. I do thrillers. Uh, um, I do science fiction. I, I do a comedy series on Audible. <laughs> that's <laughs> I awesome. I mean, I do a little bit of everything, actually. This is my first nonfiction, though. I'm, so I'm, I'm really excited. It's been doing super good this week. Well, good, and 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 I hope it continues to do exactly that. Uh, I I loved mine. I tore through it as I just mentioned. Um, but you know, in defense of the Second Amendment, coming from Larry Korea, really shouldn't be a surprise if anybody knows about your background because you've got a long history in the gun industry. Former gun shop owner, 
um, and, and including uh, having your SOT, meaning you can deal with machine guns and, and suppressors and whatnot, um, as well as being a certified instructor, as I am, uh, and a competitive shooter, whether that's IPSC, IDPA, uh, et cetera, and all the above. Um, so you've got a, the background as an instructor. you got the background having trained thousands of people, as I have, in, in how to exercise their Second Amendment rights effectively and safely and responsibly and legally. Um, so it shouldn't be a surprise you've come out with in defense of the Second amendment but but tell us what it is in writing this and having it published really you were trying to accomplish um well the goal was i wanted to be able to help the people who are already on my side articulate better arguments and arm them with facts just kind of in one convenient place and i didn't want to do like a dry academic uh statistical kind of thing Uh, i was going for just kind of a colloquial just regular people having a conversation uh, about the issue and I also wrote it for, you know, not just people on our side already, but people who are kind of on the fence. This is the book to, like, give to your your spouse who won't let you have a gun in the house, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I, I run into that a lot. I do, too. I get that call often. That's the reason I chuckle. Um, You know, what I get all the time is I have people contact me and say, Guy, you know, you did a show a month ago or three months ago or whatever it might be, and and you completely rebutted this argument of why there should be an assault weapon ban or, or why uh, red flag laws uh, are useful to society. And, and man, I'm going back through your shows and I, and, I, and I can't find it. You know, can you point me to that? I got to tell you, I mean, I love it when people go back and listen to my podcast, but I'm not so sure I'm not from now on just going to say, man, you need to check out pages 42 through 62 in Larry Correa's book because you really lay it all out right here in one spot. I do, yeah, and it's just because I've been involved in this for about 30 years now. I got into this when I was young and, you know, a young, excitable gun nut, and uh, I've heard the same arguments the whole time, as you have and as we all have. They just keep bringing up the same tired stuff. Every now and then there's something new. Every few years they'll come up with some new thing that they'll regurgitate. Uh, So I just wanted to, like, have a handy guide to all of them. And so basically I would outline, like, what they're pitching, and uh, then I would go through, like, how it fails logically, how it's failed historically, how it really works in real life, and just kind of, like, pick it apart. And I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty sarcastic. I mean, it comes from being <laughs> a fiction writer. I mean, I'm not an academic. Uh, and, but here's the thing. I, I made sure that every single thing I said in there is sourced, cited. Uh, I, I was all fact-checked. Uh, the the fact-checker did a st- stupendous job. And then the, the publishing house, uh, the attorneys, went over it to make sure everything I said legally was correct. Yep. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure there because I want to be able to give people good information. I don't want to give people bad info that's going to get them refuted. But it's been interesting to me. So the book's been out this week, and I'm getting these one-star reviews from people who clearly haven't read it. And the reviews are just, uh, like, the same tired stuff. And it's so funny because it's like they didn't read the book to review it. And it's like, ha, I got you. I specifically talked about that and showed why you're wrong. It's because the people that are the anti-gun, uh, like hardcore advocates, they're, they're kind of profoundly dishonest, and they just kind of run with this narrative, regardless of what the actual facts are. So I actually had a lot of fun with it, kind of going through and just poking poking ho- holes in all their arguments and, and rebuting all this stuff. So. Uh, I, I hope I hope it's useful for people. I hope people get some good use out of this. Well, I, I do this for a living, uh, and uh, and I've been a Second Amendment attorney uh, for a long, long time, practicing law this year, 40 years. And it's useful to me. 
um, because it, of how it's a concise collection of multiple well-thought-out logical arguments. Yeah, is there a little wit and a little sarcasm and poking, poking fun at, at some of the idiotic uh, arguments we see against us? Of course. But that's what makes it entertaining, and that doesn't detract from the logic at all and the, and, and the factual support for what it is that you lay out here. So, again, I said before the break, uh, uh, you probably didn't hear, but uh, by inter- introducing you, I said if I sound like a bit of a fanboy for this book, it's only because I am, uh, because uh, uh, I love the collection of, of useful arguments right here in one spot, and that's why I think it's it's useful for, for any gun owner. And, I, and I'm hoping that with some of these silly reviews, I, and I've seen some, and, and some you've talked about on social media, and I went and looked. What What's fascinating to me, what, I saw one, probably the most uh, vitriolic review that I saw. Um, clearly, someone read two pages uh, of the forward and didn't get much farther <laughs> and on that basis, wrote a review. And I started laughing because they clearly hadn't gotten into the substance. And by the way, Nick Searcy, people probably know he played Waylon Givens' boss on the great uh, series Justified. And, and by all accounts, just a really good guy. He wrote you a hell um, of a forward and, 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 and well-deserved. But, uh, but clearly somebody hadn't gotten into the substance of the book whatsoever. They just decided any book called In Defense of the Second Amendment amendment has you know has got to be laid waste to on every opportunity yeah it was just kind of a it was just so funny to me because it's such a microcosm of the same debate where anything happens in the news they got the narrative in advance regardless of the facts they have the narrative and uh it, it's just kind of it's so funny to me how they do that and, and the fact that you like this book so much to me is great because uh, you've been putting in the work. Uh, you are one of the footnotes in the book. <laughs> I am. I am. I was. It was awesome. I was. I, I actually. I saw something that was related to the the Greenwood Park Mall shooting, where I actually represent uh, the gentleman who was the hero uh, who saved who knows how many lives, countless lives, uh, by taking out a bad guy. And I and I read something that that looked familiar in terms of some of the facts behind that shooting. And and I and then I saw there was a footnote, and I said I said, well, Larry got this exactly right. So whatever his source is and. Whatever Whatever, you know, what, whatever the basis of this information is, uh, I clearly got it right as well. And so I flipped back to the back to see uh, what the footnote read, and it was me. <laughs> so I got, I got a big <laughs> kick out of that. Uh, so, I, yeah, you, you know you enjoy a book when you're excited about even being in a damn footnote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I spent almost as much time writing the book as I did uh, putting together the, uh, the data. Um, and, and so I, I like having those footnotes. Like I said, it's like 13 pages of small print. I cite everything I can think of, and then the fact checkers will, will they would go through and they're like, well, you make this assertion on this page, do you have evidence for that? And it was a lot of stuff that, as a gun guy, I've been doing this my whole life, I, I would just take for granted. It's like, everybody knows that, right? Yeah. Um, and so that wasn't good enough, and so I, by golly, if, if, if it's in there, and it's a thing that we take for granted, I will show you where to, <laughs> where to look that up. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun putting it together, and I kind of lucked out because how this all came to be was it was because of the Bruin decision was pending. Yeah, you bet. Uh, it was looming. And uh, one of the editors at Regnery, the nonfiction publishing house, uh, he had worked with me on the fiction side of the thing, and Regnery wanted to get out a like, comprehensive you know, guidebook to the, the Second Amendment debate and like, you know, a help guide. And they said, who do we know who, A, is a really good writer, uh, an experienced writer who can get this book out quickly, and B, really knows guns? And uh, Tony Daniel, the editor, was like, oh, oh, guys, I've got the perfect guy. 
<laughs> and I would have did this for free. Um, you know, don't, don't tell the publisher that, but this is something I've been passionate about forever. So I'm just glad to get it out there and get it, get it into people's hands and, and get it to be a tool in, in the debate. So well, you know, I'm, I'm really pumped. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, one of my, one of my thoughts upon uh, finishing the book and setting it down is that, uh, and, and, and this, this, this would be a nice bump for sales as well, but my first thought is that somebody ought to start a GoFundMe or some kind of a, a collection out there uh, to where we could uh, purchase 500 and some odd copies of this and send them to every single member in the House of Representatives in the Senate um, and, and in Washington. And, of course, you know, we know a, a big chunk of those are going to th- throw it straight in the trash. But for, for anybody interested in actual facts and logic when it comes to the gun control debate, uh, this this is exactly that. And, and and I would love the idea that some number of politicians in Washington, and, and in particular those that are on our side to, to a large degree anyway, could be armed with these kind of arguments. Because it, it, we don't hear enough of, of exactly that coming from our, our, our elected officials. That would be really nice. And it's interesting, too, because like I try real hard in the book not to get too – uh, too p- political, and I can't, I can't say I didn't get political because it's clearly a political debate, but I don't want to be too much this side good, this side evil, except the problem is I, I actually had some liberal gun owners who were uh, a little mad at me because they think, well, you paint with a broad brush. And I was like, well, when 99 point something you know, of your elected representatives are anti-gun and a pro-gun elected Democrat in Congress is you know, seen more rarely than Bigfoot, I can't you know, put that caveat every single time I'm talking about actual political activity. But I do call out the, the Republicans, too, uh, specifically like when I get to the, the section on red flag locks, because that was the most, at the time of writing this, that was the most recent uh, legislative action. We had a lot of Republican senators uh, go along with uh, the red flag funding uh, and just completely missing the point of all the different ways it could be abused, all the different ways it could be used to take away people's constitutional rights with no due process. Uh, and it was it was just really sad to see that. So I, I, I try to be fair and I try to call out um, uh, bad, bad decision making on both sides. Uh, and then I have no mercy for the people who are like the willfully uh, dishonest, destructive. I, I, in the book, I refer to them as the vultures. Yes. And so not all anti-gun people are vultures. But when I talk about the vultures, it's the people that are like perched waiting for carnage. Yes. Uh, and then when there's blood, they swoop in. And on those people, I, I, have, I have no mercy. And I call out many by name, and I provide a lot of examples of the stuff they do. Uh, oh, yeah, and speaking in the Greenwood, uh, Greenwood Park Mall, I specifically talk about Shannon Watts' reaction to that event. Because um, they, were, they were sad. They were upset um, on Twitter that, that, that there hadn't been enough death and destruction. And, and even some of them, and I quoted them in the book, and uh, they were upset that, well, this – this kid took a gun to the mall. So who's the real bad guy? Didn't right. they both take guns to the mall? I, I was, it, it blew me away. It was so crazy. Yeah. You know, I took on Shannon Watts on Twitter uh, that led her to delete one particular tweet 
um, that, that I think you actually mentioned in the book, and that is um, she had said basically it's a sad day in America, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, it's a sad day in America when the gun nuts are actually excited about a 22-year-old illegally taking a gun to a mall uh, and, 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 and engaged in a shooting only after three innocent people died. And so she's talking about, you know, heroism and putting uh, Eli Dickin putting himself in harm's way to save who knows how many lives. Bad guy had over 100 rounds uh, in, 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 in rifle magazines on him when that threat was stopped. Um, and it was a sad day in America because Eli Dickin uh, saved countless lives. And she only wanted to focus uh, on the fact that he had a gun in the mall. And as you say, specifically in the book, in Indiana and many other places, they can have a no gun policy all they want, just like they can have a no mask policy or a no shirt, no shoes, no service policy. Uh, you violate their policy, they can ask you to leave. If you leave, it's no harm, no foul. Uh, but you don't break a law by ignoring a no gun policy. So she said, you know, illegally carrying a gun in the mall. And uh, and I responded directly to her and I said, let me explain the a legal concept called defamation per se. Defamation per se is falsely accusing someone of a crime. Eli Dickin committed no crime in Indiana. I'm his lawyer. You may want to reconsider leaving this uh, on your Twitter feed. And poof, about 20 seconds later, it disappeared. Yeah, that's doing that is doing community service right there. That is that is some. I mean, that's quality that you got her to take that down. <laughs> well, well I, I was just, go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry. I was just I was just so blown away by 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 the attitude of this, and I've seen it over and over and everybody who's involved in this has seen it over and over. I mean, I've got one of the openings. I talk about the, the visceral reaction we all have now because we've been conditioned to this, that there's an event on the news and we know even before there's any facts of the case available, we're getting blamed. Um, we saw it this week. Like, like, so during the, the week my book came out, I, I've been on a ton of radio interviews and I was watching this kind of unfold in real time. So we have these events in California immediately they take to the news, the vultures, you know, Adam Schiff, there's a perfect example. He gets on there and he starts talking about how this is clearly, you know, bigotry or I need to say clearly, I'm paraphrasing also. I don't want to like, you know, say anything defamatory here, but, but basically he was dancing in the blood that like, this shows that there's bigotry against Asians and this shows why we need an assault weapons ban and so on and so forth. It's just the same old, same old, because they already have all the stuff in plan. Any, anything that they, uh, they propose when emotions are high, it's already been planned and it has, you know, the laws are already, they're already written. They're ready to roll out in case of, of a sufficient tragedy to get enough people emotional. So none of these are ever written in a way to like actually deal with that particular event. But then as it came out, everything I predicted in the book about the pattern they follow, they followed. Yep. So events change, uh, the information comes out, it doesn't fit their narrative. Oh, the shooter wasn't a, you know, white uh, Trump voter. Uh, and the weapon he used has been illegal in California since like, yeah, I think the nineties. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, the guys had this you know, gun that's been illegal in that state for 30 years. He used it. And so everything was wrong, but it doesn't matter. They never, it's not really like they go back and they retract and they say, Oh, sorry, we're wrong. We, uh, we, def- we insulted, uh, the integrity and honor and decency of, of half the country. Uh, we apologize for our mistake. No, they never do that. They just double down. And then, then they wait for the next one and the next one. And they, if, if the event, fits their narrative, then by golly, it's going to be flogged in the news for months, months on end. It'll dominate the news cycle because it's all about just getting some getting some mileage out of it for them. Well, precisely uh, right. And, you know, and one thing that, that, that I was borderline shocked to see 
and and it really was uh, an, an issue uh, that you raise and discuss in the book as well. But the New York Times actually called me about a week ago, and uh, a rep- the reporter. Uh, a guy named uh, Serge Kovaleski, and he, he called me and he said, "Hey, guy, you know, I understand you represent Eli Dickin, the hero in Greenwood, and and you know, we went on from there." But he asked me a series of questions, and the the premise behind his questions were all, um, "Does it appear that more and more people are willing to take on the role of standing up and protecting themselves and others?" And the context was mass shootings. Uh, but but obviously it's broader than that. When we see now multiple instances of heroic bystanders stepping up and saving lives, do, do, he wanted to know if I thought that was going to lead to more and more people carrying guns and being will, being willing to step in uh, to that role. But even the fact that the New York Times was asking me that question was something that about made my jaw hit the floor. The article came out, and I don't know if you've seen it, but and of course they they disregard. 99% of what I said, and specifically, I made a point that you make in your book, which is uh, talking about the most recent California situation, and where a, an unarmed bystander actually helped wrestle the gun away from this guy. But in the context of the, of the of the California shooting, they had Shannon Watts quoted in there say, oh, well, of course, we need more gun control, and we need this ban, and we need that ban. The guy came back to me and asked me, and I said, you know, we're talking about California, right? And we're, we're talking about California is an absolute cornucopia of gun control. There's no there's nothing on Shannon Watts' most fond wish list that California hadn't already done. You name it, mandatory background checks on private sales, red flag laws, assault weapon ban, high capacity magazine ban. The, the, the complete wish list for any gun control proponent they already have in California, what additional, what one more law would, would have made a difference in California. And the guy, wow, that's a really good point. He actually wrote up his notes from our conversation and sent them to me, and, and he got, him everything, got everything right. It was dead on. I go, yep, that's good, awesome. And then and as soon as, I, uh, as, soon as I, I, I put the phone down from responding to him, I went, I can't believe the New York Times is actually going to publish that point. And guess what? They sure as hell did not. He wrote it into the article and then told me his uh, editors uh, trashed it all. And, and, and he had like one line from me that was uh, very much window dressing. But the fact that the New York Times published that article that proposed the idea that more and more people are willing to step up and defend themselves and others and being willing to carry a gun after seeing heroes save lives in potential mass shootings was shocking to me that we saw that from that publication. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic because I do think like I, I've talked about this is we are winning the culture war. Um, I, I and every time there's an instance like that where it's, you know the proverbial good guy with a gun, the the vultures always say, "Well, the good guy with a gun is a myth." Right. But then we we trot out example after example after example, and I, I go into the book in, you know a lot of different types of crime, but I, mean, I spend a lot inordinate amount of time statistically on the mass shootings just because those are the ones that you know grab the headlines and they get talked a lot about. But as you know, it always comes down to a violent response and that violent response can either be immediate because somebody who's already there or that violent response could be from when the cops come in 15 minutes or an hour and a half in the case of a all day or whatever, it takes time. Yeah. And so if you get somebody there, it's just simple logistics. And a lot of people have kind of glommed onto that. You know, 2020 was the year that everybody was like first time buyers of guns skyrocketed across all demographics. And it was all because of people watching the breakdown of the system that they had faith in, that they think, okay, I, I'll just, I don't need a gun. I'll just call 911. Cops will come save me. 2020 rolls around. 
uh, cities are on fire. People are calling 911, and the cops are like, well, you know, good luck. You're on your own. We can't come. And that's why we had this just explosion of gun purchasing. We we absolutely and, did, and and yeah, now, as I've been saying for years on the mass shooting issue, uh, the timing and duration of a mass shooting is always directly dependent on when the second gun arrives, and uh, and 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 I and you you lay out that in a lot of detail in the book, Larry. I have blown way past the bottom of the hour. I've got producer Carl giving me the evil eye over here, but I I, I just uh, can't get enough of this discussion. Book is outstanding. Thanks so much for coming on the gun guy show here this evening well thanks guy i really i really appreciate it thank you all righty oh, we're taking a break this is guy relford on the gun guy show on 93 wibc hey thanks for checking out the podcast we appreciate it but make sure you join us live at wibc.com to stream or at 93.1 fm in central indiana for the gun guy show every saturday five to seven